Oh man, are y'all doing okay? You're alive, you're well, feeling good in the neighborhood. Awesome. Man, we had a good time last week. If you were able to be here in our first annual Love Does Day, and just kind of be out in the community and you got to see a little bit about what Feed the Need is going to be like. And uh, one of our new ministries in the community on Monday nights will be um, White Rock Park area and uh, providing hamburgers. We're providing me- uh, meals, uh, meeting physical needs so that people can meet Jesus. And I'm excited about that, along with what we already do through Amen and Second Chance and being out in the community. So those are exciting things. But we also got to help out and build a porch and do some things at one house and take meals to the police department, sheriff's department, and you know the nursing homes. And a lot of different things went on, and it could not have happened without you saying yes. And a little different day, but we appreciate you stepping in and getting out, maybe some of you getting out of your comfort zone to do some of those things. But this idea of love does comes from John 3.16, a verse maybe you've heard or seen. If you've been around church, if you've ever watched a sporting event, they always find a way to put that John 3.16 up there. And it's because it's a powerful verse. And um, I don't even know if we sometimes, we just have, if you've been around church for a while, you see it and you just kind of gloss over it and we lose the meaning and um, value and worth sometimes of this verse. And so I just want to read it and explain it just a little bit so it'll help us as we get into our series over the next few weeks entitled Love Does. And what does it look like for us to be generous in our lives and the way that we live as a response to the being the child of God who God was generous, and as we gather and, and collect and, and act like our Father, we ourselves will be generous as well. John 3.16, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son. Now let me stop right there. For this is how God so loved the world. That word world is literally cosmos, which we get cos, you know, cosmo and all the, not cosmo magazine, but all these different things. So the entire cosmos comes from that. But interestingly enough, in the original language, it's this idea also of, for God so loved the world that was in opposition to him, that was actually an enemy of his. Because of that moment when Adam and Eve sinned, things began to change because of that moment when Adam and Eve said, hey, I want to eat from this tree, even though, God, you've given me all this other bounty to choose from, I want this one. In that moment, it introduced this concept called sin. Now, I know sin is one of these words we don't talk a whole lot about, but we're going to spend some time thinking about it this morning. So in that moment, then two forces began to do battle, and it was sin and the holiness of God. And so in this idea of John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world that was in opposition to him, that was an enemy of his, he loved them so much that he gave the most extravagant gift that he could possibly give, which is himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So that we could have an intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the entire universe. So this morning, we'll kind of talk about this verse a little bit more and, and, and lean into this idea that the one who gave himself, Jesus, in that one, he became our sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with God, we could enter into the Holy of Holies, but also he became our high priest a high priest that understands us and knows us, and therefore whenever he stands before God himself, we can petition and he understands our prayers and our needs and our deepest sufferings. We're going to be looking at Matthew 
chapter 2 here in just a moment, but just to, to grasp that idea that for God so loved the world that was in opposition to him that he gave his most precious gift so that we could have life and relationship with him. That is a powerful image. Think about it. For most of us, for God so loved, for I so loved my child, I would do whatever I can possibly do to give them the world. It's complete opposite of how God loves us. Have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2. Look at the story. As we get into the story, think about this, is that here Jesus is about to be born, and historically what's happening is King Herod is the king. And King Herod was an appointed king. He wasn't truly Jewish. He didn't fully get all and so he's he's this and he's an angry guy and um, so there's just some interesting thing about the history here in this moment and so here jesus is about to be born somewhere in the a far away in the east there are these kings these magi these astrologers these really wise smart guys and they somehow or another hear from god and are drawn to bethlehem they're drawn to follow this star a far away because they've heard, they've gotten revelation that the king of the Jews, the king of the world, is about to be born. Now, to me, one of the interesting things about that part is, is that no matter where you're at in your journey, God will find a way to call you and to draw him, draw you unto himself. That he will even use things outside of the norm. He used a star to draw wise men unto himself so that they could bow down before the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and worship and give gifts. And I don't know that they even fully understood, but they were there. And so the same thing is true for us as God uses whatever he can possibly use to draw us unto himself so that we can encounter Jesus. So here's the story of Matthew chapter 2. King Herod, he's an angry guy. These magi are being drawn in. And where would you naturally go to find the new baby born that's about to be born king of the Jews? You would go to the king's house. So they show up at the king's house. King Herod, they knock on there. Hey, King Herod, we hear that you're about to have a baby. And he's surprised by this because he's not having a baby in his house. And so all of a sudden he's like, I don't know what's going on. The religious scholars say, hey, there is prophecy that a new baby will be born. And they ask, well, where's this baby going to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem. And so they gives them that information and says, hey, whenever you find this baby Jesus, I want to worship him as well. And what we understand from history is that he didn't really want to worship. He wanted to take out this new baby because he knew that this was changing his lineage. And so he actually passed an edict that any children, Jewish children, male children under the age of two, that their lives would be taken. So that's why Jesus was escaped and went to Egypt for a little bit. So Jesus is born during the time of King Herod, and these wise men come, and they are there to worship the king of the Jews. And join with me then in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, we'll join the story. So after they've seen Herod, the star reappears to them, and they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped. Then they opened up their treasure chests, the generosity that comes from worship. They opened up their treasure chests, and they gave him three gifts. They gave him a gift of gold, a gift of frankincense, and the gift of myrrh. Now, symbolically, the gift of gold was a gift that you would give to a king. And so they're giving King Jesus kingly gifts of gold. And I don't know about you, but whenever we had our baby showers, if someone had put bars of gold and wrapped them up and put them under there for the baby shower, I'd have been like, yeah, sign me up. We're going to have a bunch of babies. 
But they brought this gift. But it's really a unique gift. And myrrh is a gift that is symbolic of someone who's going to die. It's, it's something you would embalm or whatever, kind of cover over smell. So they gave that gift, but then also frankincense. What kind of gifts did you want whenever you had babies or you had kids or grandkids? What are the things that you normally think about? You want diapers, you want clothes, you want blankets, you want soft and squishy toys. I'll tell you what, we got this one gift that I didn't fully understand it at the moment, but a few weeks in, I fully appreciated it, and it was called the Diaper Genie. This is on the eighth day God created the Diaper Genie. All right, this diaper genie thing takes the gold that your kids make and you put it in there and you can like wrap it up and it closes off the stench of death from there. And you can put weeks of that in there and then get rid of it and your house smells great. It is a beautiful gift. If you ever have people in your life that are about to have babies, pray about getting them a diaper genie, okay? Diaper genie. So Jesus didn't get a diaper genie. He got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold because he was king. Myrrh, because they were prophesying of the fact that he was going to die. And then also frankincense. And frankincense was an expensive gift, but a very practical gift. It was kind of the Swiss army knife of essential oils. It, could, it was an antiseptic. It was an astringent. It was um, a diuretic. It was a sedative. It had all these different things you could do. It was expensive, but it was a very practical thing. Also, frankincense was used in worship. Whenever you would go to the temple or you'd go to the tabernacle, there would be these urns and they would be put the frankincense in there and that was symbolic of the prayers of the people that they were offering. So if you were to go into the temple and you were to pray, you would see kind of an urn like this with the smoke going up and you would smell the frankincense, you would smell the myrrh, and it would have this fragrance about it. And what the priest would say is, is that as you pray, this frankincense as it's going up touches the nostrils of God and he responds to your prayers. Again, this powerful, beautiful imagery that as we speak and we pray and we tell God what's going on in our hearts and our minds and our souls that it's going up and he's listening and he's, he literally he can smell our prayers. Frankincense also was symbolic of the fact that it was some, a gift of a priest and it helps us understand Jesus as our high priest. Now, if you've grown up or been around a church like cross point or something like that, you may not fully grasp this idea of a priest. I don't dress up in priestly garb and, and I'm not slinging um, incense or anything like that. And so you, it's a little bit different worship experience. But in the Old Testament days, a priest, in particular a high priest, represented the people to God. And they represented the people to God in two ways. One is they prayed prayers on behalf of the people. So you would, whenever I would come in, whenever you'd come into worship, I would be praying, and my prayers would represent you, and they would be offered up to God, because I would be the representative to God for you and on your behalf. That's one way. The second way is they would make, <clears throat> excuse me, they would make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. In particular, one time a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would have spent an entire year prepping themselves for this day so that they could enter into this place called the Holy of Holies. So imagine that you come into this worship center and there's different segments to it and there's a place behind us, kind of like what we have here, the cross where we have baptism. Behind there would be this curtain and it would be the Holy of Holies. 
and that the high priest, in preparation for a year on the Day of Atonement, would enter in behind that curtain in the Holy of the Holies, and behind the Holy of Holies, in that room, was the Ark of the Covenant. And so his purpose, as the representative of the people to God, would be to go into the Holy of Holies, where God himself resided, and he would go in there and he would offer up prayers for the people, but also he would offer up a sacrifice of an unblemished, innocent lamb. And whenever he would offer that, the blood, he would place the blood on the Ark of the Covenant here between these two angelic beings right here in the middle, which is called the mercy seat. And placing the blood on the mercy seat would then offer forgiveness for the entire nation's sins for an entire year in that moment. He would also then take a goat. We use the term scapegoat. Have you heard scapegoat? Hey, I don't want to be the scapegoat. This is where this comes from, is then that high priest would pray over and confess the sins of the people to that scape, over that scapegoat and would release that scapegoat and they would chase it and, and run it off of a hill with the idea that your sins are sent from you as far as the east is from the west. You can never recover them. They've been confessed and they run and they're gone forever. So in that moment of Yom Kippur, it's an interesting, weird kind of stuff, some crazy stuff. You can see the symbolism in it. And Jesus becomes our high priest. The reason that this is even needed is because in that moment in the garden when Adam and Eve said, I want this tree, even though I have all this other stuff, I want to eat from this tree. And they take it because they want to be like God. And in that moment, the opposition happens that we see in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that's now in opposition to him. You see the tension. Because here's this holiness of God and the sinfulness of man at war with one another. And that we continue to still struggle with that war on a daily daily basis. We want to be holy. We want to be righteous. We want to choose the things of God, but so many times we don't. That's that war that goes on. And so there's these two opposing forces. And the reason that we allow sin to become so casual in our lives is because we've forgotten and don't fully comprehend and understand the full holiness of who God is. So therefore, sin becomes casual. Because it's like, eh, So what? But we forget that as a child of God, we are now able to go into the holy of holies and to be in the presence of God and that as followers of Jesus, we're continually living in the holy of holies. And think about the work. Think about the preparation. Think about everything that that high priest did to enter into the holy of holies. Now, because of Jesus, you and I live in the holy of holies. As a matter of fact, the Spirit of God has taken residence with inside of you And as Scripture says, you are the temple of God. And so there's a portion of you that is actually the holy of holies. So that is the war that we're struggling with, is that we want to live that out. The Spirit within us wants to live in the presence of God, in the holiness of God, in that that place, the beauty of that. But our humanity, we're struggling with it. We don't understand the holiness of God. Therefore, we become casual with our approach to our sins. This idea of holy is one that's set apart and perfect and flawless and pure and without fault. And holiness is, is, it's not just one of God's attributes. Because sometimes we say, hey, God is holy, God is righteous, God is loving. Here's what I want you to get. Holiness is what makes his kindness what it is. 
His holiness is what makes his love what it is. His holiness is, his holiness is the one that kind of gels everything. The reason that he has the loving kindness and the suffering and the patience with us that he does is because he's holy. The reason that he's righteous is because he's holy. And these things aren't separate, but they are whole together. And even though sin is not a popular word, it's, it's, we live in this world and this culture where it's just, I want to have it my way or just do it or whatever. And, and we forget the fact that all of our decisions as followers of Christ have an impact upon our relationship with God. Because we are to be living as if we're working and doing life in the midst of the Holy of Holies. Here's the interesting thing. In that moment that you said yes to Jesus, he became your high priest. As a matter of fact, in that moment, Scripture tells us, in that moment where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That the veil in the Holy of Holies tore from the top to the bottom, representing the fact that now you and I, because of Jesus, as the perfect unblemished sacrifice, and his blood is now poured out on the mercy seat, you and I now have the ability to enter into the Holy Holies and to worship the I Am on our own behalf. But we have a high priest in the person of Jesus who's not only our sacrifice, but he fully understands us. And it's not a temporary sacrifice. that has to have to be done year after year on the Day of Atonement. It was done once and for all forever time because he was perfect without blemish Therefore, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that for all times, his death was sufficient for your sins, for your mess. Again, all of this sounds crazy. Scapegoats and blood on a mercy seat and all this different stuff. And a lot of it is this Old Testament covenant stuff now being fulfilled in the New Testament through the person of Jesus. And one of the things that I want you to get that is that God has progressively revealed himself throughout history. So in that moment after Adam and Eve, God already knew what was going to happen. He knows the story at the end of Revelation. But God has progressively revealed himself to his people throughout so that Abraham comes and then the judges and all this. He's progressively revealing more and more and more of himself so that at the perfect moment in history and in time, Jesus was given. You think about all the stuff that was perfect in that moment. God progressively revealed himself. So at that moment when Jesus came, it was perfection for all of history. There had never been a period of peace like that. There had never been highways like that. There had never been a time in history where everybody spoke the same language. God, in his timing, his perfect timing, showed up and offered his son for us so that we could enter into the Holy of Holies. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and 10 and following. For God's will for us was to be made holy. Even when we were in opposition to him, God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for our sins, this unblemished, innocent scapegoat, good for all time. Not a temporary solution, good for all time, once for always solution. And then what happened? He sat down at the right hand of the Father as our high priest. He understands, he knows, he's experienced. There is no better priest that's ever been. He's the, he's the sacrifice 
and He understands everything that you need. Some of you have accepted and received that gift. And you have been declared holy. Not because of you. Not because of what you've done, not because of your education, not because of your own lineage, but because you have said yes to Jesus. Here's the interesting thing. You can never earn your salvation. Therefore, you can never lose it because of your works. So one time you say, yes, you're his. Now we're working out what does it mean for me to live as someone who can enter into the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of the high priest. Our high priest knows us and understands us. Think of this. We live in a small town. Jesus' mama was pregnant as a teenager without a daddy. That was scandal. We live in a small town where people know know stuff about us before we even know it. Jesus understands scandal. He was tempted. He suffered. He had broken relationships. He had accusations against him that were false. People were constantly talking about him, things that weren't true. He had grief. He lost friends. He lost family members. He was abandoned. He was defeated. As a matter of fact, that even his father left him at that moment. My God, my God. That was the only time throughout the New Testament that Jesus did not say, my father. He experienced abandonment from his father so that you and I could enter into the Holy of Holies. He understands you. No matter the stuff and the muck that you've gone through. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who's entered heaven, the Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testing that we do, yet he did not sin. So then, let us come boldly to the throne before our gracious God. Therefore, we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let's be honest. Most of us, whenever we're under pressure, whenever things aren't going right, we're kind of struggling with We depend upon our own wisdom, our own knowledge, our own education, our own whatever. Many times the last thing that we do is to run to dad and say, I need your help. I need your help. Dad, I need your wisdom. We have a great high priest who knows your stuff. He's walked it. He's experienced it. He understands it. And we should be the first place as children. To run to the Holy of Holies and say, I need you. This morning, we're going to do have an opportunity for you to do that. We don't necessarily do that whole lot around here, but um, it's altar time. It's always here. It's always open. But this morning, specifically for you, if you feel like, hey, I, I need a moment. I want to offer up prayers. I want to be in the presence of in the Holy of Holies, and I want to just kind of, in my own mind, imagine the frankincense going up and God literally smelling my prayers and hearing and being in my presence. So this morning we're going to continue our time of singing and stuff, and we're just going to have a time of reflection. The altar will be open. I've invited people from our leadership team to come down. They'll be available for you as well. So you can come by your own and pray. You can meet with someone there and talk with them. Or you can also, we have a new prayer room just right outside these doors to the left. And you can go in there and just spend some time in there, whether this time or even after the service.
an opportunity for you to be reminded of the fact that you have a great high priest and he's for you and he understands you and he cares for you and he will never leave you or abandon you. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, love does. All of us have experienced people saying they love us, but their actions showing completely opposite. We've been hurt. We've been devastated. We've lost trust and faith in others. Father, that you, may we be reminded, may we understand that your love is complete. Your love is sufficient. Your love is holy. And that when you say you love us, you back it up. Even when we're in opposition to you. Even when we're running away from you. Even when we lob accusations at you. Even when we say you're not enough. Because we're drawn to the appetites of the world more than to be in the presence of your holiness. Father, I pray that during this season, that as we think about Jesus and we, baby Jesus, and we think about the gifts underneath the tree, may we, may we be reminded of the greatest gift the person of Jesus Christ that stepped out of heaven and took on flesh and walked among us and experienced all that we've experienced in our humanity and still did not sin so that he could be the sacrifice so that his blood, his life could be poured out on the mercy seat a once for all sacrifice for all of mankind and that my works none of our works would be enough it's truly a gift a free gift and the father as we can just receive that gift and open it up and for the rest of our lives experiencing all of what that gift is and what it is about and the joys and the nuances of that gift. Father, that the gift of the person of Jesus Christ and salvation is inexhaustible. We will never come to the end of fully understanding what you have given us in the person of Jesus. His mercy your grace, your long-suffering, your patience, your kindness, the ability to crawl up into your lap and say, Daddy, I need you. So, Father, I just pray this morning that we would just maybe get a glimpse of what it cost you. This seemingly small gift of frankincense from these guys from afar.
that in their worship they opened up a treasure chest and said, this is what we have to offer you. Father, may we seek to live out as followers of you, as your children, what it means to live out of the holy of holies. That we be set apart. That we live out of purity. That we live out of holiness. That our appetites and our mindset and the way that we love is different. Not because of us, but because of the greatness of the gift that you've given us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.